This summer, we are looking at the threefold office of Christ, that Christ is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And in each of those sections, as we walk through them, we're going to spend four weeks in each. The first two weeks, we'll be looking at the Old Testament background for that specific office. And then the third week, we'll be looking in the New Testament at Christ as the, and his fulfillment of that office. And then the fourth week, which this is our fourth week in Christ as prophet, we're going to be looking at practical applications of that office for the church today. And so we're going to be this morning in Romans chapter 10. This is actually, I believe, our first sermon at Living Stone from the book of Romans. And we call ourselves Reformed, right? But no, to be Reformed is not to be about the book of Romans. It's to, it's to be about the whole of Scripture. We want to be preaching all of God's word. But it is still exciting for us to be this morning in Romans 10. Again, verses 14 through 17. But if you're opening your Bibles there, we're actually going to begin, be, be beginning, for the reading at least, in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, to provide a little bit of context for where we're going this morning. If you have the Pew Bibles, that's on page 946. So Romans 9, verse 30, and we're going to read up through Romans 10, verse 17. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy inspired and inerrant word. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not, never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and that you have made it an effectual means of salvation for us. And so we pray this morning, now that your word has been read and now that your word is going to be preached, that your spirit would make that reading and preaching of of your word an effectual means of convincing and converting lost sinners and of building up the household of faith in holiness and in comfort through faith unto salvation. God, for your word to be effective, you are the one who must work by your spirit. So we ask that you would give us open ears, open hearts to receive what you would speak to us in your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here's a question for you to consider this morning. Is preaching really all that important? Is preaching really all that important? Maybe we could personally apply that question to you. How important is preaching to your own life? What difference would it make if you didn't hear a sermon every week at church? Because let's be honest, there are a lot of good books out there, right? There are a lot of great websites and some terrible websites. But there are some good websites that will get you good biblical information. There are lectures online that you can listen to. We have group Bible studies and group conversations. And don't we all learn better in interactive environments anyway? Why do we need preaching? And is it really all that important? And what difference would it make in your life if you didn't hear preaching? Well, since I'm a licensed preacher, you can probably guess what my answer is is going to be to that. It's kind of like asking a fitness expert if they think that working out is important. You know, right when you ask the question that they're gonna say, of course it's important. So of course I'm going to say, preaching is massively important. It's kind of my calling in life. I should be concerned if I didn't think it was important. But I don't think it's just me that thinks that preaching is important. I think the Bible itself argues that preaching is essential. And we'll see that very clearly today as we look at Romans 10. Again, we're going to be looking specifically at uh, verses 14 through 17. And the big idea for us this morning is this. I'll try to say this slowly if you're taking notes. The preaching of the word today is a necessary part of the prophetic office of Christ and is therefore necessary for Christ's church. Don't worry, I'll say that again. The preaching of the word today is a necessary part of the prophetic office of Christ, and is therefore necessary for Christ's church. One thing that should be very clear to us as we've been looking at the office of prophet is that our God is a God of revelation. 
and that his revelation is meant to be heard, and then it's meant to be declared and heralded. And specifically, the prophetic office beginning in the Old Testament was meant to rightly handle and declare the revelation of God to the people of God. And last week, as we looked at Christ, we see that he is the true and the greatest prophet, that he is the full and final revelation of God. But Christ has not left his people now without a prophetic voice. He's not left his people now without his own word. People are still called. In the New Testament, we see apostles who were sent out to proclaim. And then we see officers after that who are called to proclaim and preach the gospel. And as we look at Romans 10, we're going to look at three aspects of the necessity of preaching. We'll see the necessity of faithful preaching. Then second, the necessity of faithful preachers. And lastly, the necessity of faithful hearers. Preaching, preachers, hearers. So let's look first at the necessity of faithful preaching. And just so you all are forewarned, this will be my longest point this morning. So if I'm finishing up this first point, you look at the clock and say, oh boy, this is going to be an hour-long sermon. Just know this is going to be by far the longest point. The necessity of faithful of faithful preaching. So when we look at the book of Romans, I think when we are preaching just a specific passage, it's helpful to first zoom out and look at what Paul is arguing in the whole book of, uh, of Romans. If you look at the context of this part of Romans, Paul is dealing with the issue of Israel's unbelief. He's answering the question, has God been unfaithful to his people Israel? And Paul's answer is no. God has not been unfaithful to Israel. And he provides for us multiple lines of argument. Starting back at the beginning of Romans chapter 9, Paul argues based on God's sovereign work of election. And then starting where we began our reading today in Romans 9.30, Paul argues that Israel misunderstood the gospel. And specifically, they misunderstood the gospel by thinking that righteousness, a right standing before God, could be something that you earn based on your own obedience to the law. They sought a righteousness that was based on works, which is what we see in verses 30 through 32, which we already read. But as Paul has already argued in the book of Romans, seeking your own personal righteousness by your own works and obedience is impossible. It's not something that you can attain. He says back in Romans 3, no one is righteous. No, not one. Then he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Self-made righteousness based on our works is impossible. But then Paul doesn't just leave us with that bad news. In chapter 10, in contrast to a self-made way of righteousness, Paul lays out the true way of righteousness, which is through faith or belief in Jesus Christ and calling out to him. He says in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ for those who call out to God. That is the basics of the gospel, right? That's the heart of the gospel. We are righteous before God through faith in Jesus Christ and his work, his works and not our works. And I think it's really important for us to see that that is the context of the verses we're going to be looking at. It actually helps us interpret what we're looking at today. And again, we're in 14 through 17. And in these verses here, Paul then addresses a follow-up question. If salvation and righteousness come through belief and calling, then how does someone come to believe? How does someone come to call upon the Lord? So let's look starting in verse 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Here we see that preaching is necessary because preaching is a means of salvation. Notice the way Paul makes his argument here. It's very interesting. He, he lays out a chain, right? How will they, they, they need to call to be saved, but how will they call if they haven't believed? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear if there isn't preaching? And how will someone preach if they aren't sent? But what's interesting here is that he's actually working backwards. If you go back to Romans chapter 8, Paul makes another chain argument. He says, those whom he predestined, in verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. See how he's using repetitions there to kind of make this chain link, and he's working from one step to the following step to the following step. But in our passage here in Romans 10, he starts at the end. He starts at the end result of salvation by calling on the Lord, and he works his way backwards. And what he's doing is he's showing the necessary steps to getting to the end result of salvation. That if you cut out any piece of this necessary chain, you're not going to get that end result of salvation. If you think back to your days in school, or maybe if you're still in school, if you think back to chemistry classes, you probably remember titrations, and Bunsen burners, and beakers, and all of that fun stuff. And often in chemistry classes, you do experiments, and sometimes you want a really cool end result, whether it's this really cool colored liquid, or you're doing one of those volcano things, right? But to get to that end result, you start with a specific chemical compound. And what you do is you add in different chemical compounds, you, you heat it, you do all the things necessary to make it happen, and you get that end result. Now, I don't know about your experiences in chemistry classes, but when I think back to my time in college, I seem to remember that at least half the room failed on their first attempt whenever they would try to get this end result. And it was usually because they missed some tiny little piece of that necessary chain of reactions. Maybe they added in just a little bit too much hydrochloric acid, or they heated that beaker for just a little bit too long but there is that necessary chain. And if you break that chain at any point, you don't get the end result. And that's exactly why preaching is necessary because preaching is a part of this necessary chain. That people can't call on the Lord and believe unless they hear preachers, unless they hear the preaching of the gospel. That's why we should confess that preaching is necessary. I think often 
when we think about preaching and we think about the work of the church, that we often want fancier things to do. We often want flashier means. We want tactics to go out and reach the world that make a little bit more sense to our mind than just someone going out and heralding the gospel. But we have to look, instead of to our own minds and to our own desires and what we think we should do, we should look to God's word and we should ask, how has God directed his people to engage in our mission? What things has he told us we should do? This is where I think we should consider again the question from the Shorter Catechism, question 89, which we confessed earlier. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, notice this, but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Preaching is necessary for the convincing and converting of lost sinners. Words are necessary. Preaching is necessary. Hearing is necessary. It's not go preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. It's go and preach the gospel at all times using words because words are necessary because people need to hear if they're going to believe. People need to hear preaching. But why I actually chose this passage for us is the second reason that preaching is necessary. Preaching is necessary because preaching is where the voice of Jesus is heard. This is really important. Preaching is where the voice of Jesus is heard. Look with me again uh, at the middle of verse 14, the middle of this chain. He says, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? If you have an ESV translation on you, I'm not sure of other translations, but if you have the ESV on you and you look at the footnote for this verse, it gives you an alternate translation. And I encourage you as you're reading and studying your Bibles, look at the footnotes. When it gives you a footnote, jump down there. The alternate translation is, or him whom they have never heard. So it's, there's two options here. Of whom they have never heard or whom they have never heard. And the difference is this. Are we hearing in preaching of Jesus? Are we hearing about Jesus? Or are we hearing Jesus? Are we hearing Jesus himself? I believe the NASB translates it the way the footnote translates it and the way that I would translate it. Hearing him whom they have never heard heard. And I don't have time right now to get into the case in the Greek about why I think that is the way it is, but I I think that this is something that we actually see elsewhere in the New Testament that would corroborate that translation. I want to just look at two verses really quickly. One is Luke 10, 16. You don't have to turn there. Simple enough. Luke 10, 16. Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out, he said, The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. But he starts that saying, the one who hears you, hears me. Then second, in John 10, 16, so we had Luke 10, 16, John 10, 16. Should be easy to remember. I'll start back in verse 14, working up to 16. Jesus said, and this is a familiar passage for us. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Then he says, and they will listen to my voice. When Jesus is talking about the other sheep there, he's talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles in the people of God. I have sheep that aren't of this fold and they must be brought in also and they're going to hear my voice. Here's a piece of trivia question, a, a trivia question for you. When in the New Testament did the Gentiles in a serious number really start coming in to the people of God? What book maybe? Acts. Is that before or after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus back into heaven? It's after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So if Jesus is saying that the Gentiles who are brought into the people of God as the gospel goes out to the nations will come in because they hear the voice of their good shepherd. It's not because they physically heard his voice. He has ascended into heaven. It's because they are hearing his voice through his messengers, the ones who he sent out to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And that's true today. If you have heard the gospel and you have responded to the gospel with repentance and with faith, guess what? It's not because you ultimately heard the gospel from that person who shared it with you. It's because while they shared the gospel with you, you heard the voice of your shepherd calling to you. You heard Jesus. And when you come here to hear preaching, you don't come here to hear me. You don't come here to hear Josh or, sorry, Bill, or to hear Bill or to hear Chris. When you come here to hear faithful preaching, you come here to hear the voice of your shepherd, Jesus. And this is Christ fulfilling his prophetic office among us. And that's why we included this as the practical application to the office of Christ as a prophet. When, when preachers faithfully preach the gospel and the word of God, not just when they come up here and stand and talk about their own opinions, but when they faithfully proclaim what God has given them to proclaim, then Christ himself speaks the words of eternal life. If you look at the quote on the front of your worship guide, it's by a, an old 18th century Scottish theologian, Thomas Boston. I highly recommend him. I just want to show you that this idea isn't new. I'm not just making this up. Thomas Boston says, we ought then to look upon our having the Bible among us and the preaching of the word to us by his servants as Christ's executing his prophetical office among us. Now, at first, this may sound strange. What do you mean, James, that we are hearing the voice of Jesus? But if we think for just a moment about what we often do in our, in our services, this all of a sudden might make a little bit more sense to you. Usually about every other week we have a, a congregational prayer of illumination before the sermon. And about half the time for that, we sing a song of illumination. One that we've done a lot recently is Speak, O Lord. I believe we sang it last week. When we pray that prayer of illumination, do we pray, God, help us to hear Josh's voice today? No. What do we pray? We pray, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Our prayer in every prayer of illumination is that we want God to speak. 
His is the voice that can take dead things and make them alive. My voice has no power, but the voice of Jesus has power to convert. He has the power to build us up, the power to strengthen us according to his word. And we come longing to hear that voice. And so this is just a plea for you to take the way that you hear sermons seriously, to take preaching seriously, because we come to hear from our God and our Savior. So as I said, that would be our longest point for the day, the necessity of faithful preaching. But we also see in this passage the necessity of faithful preachers. The necessity of faithful preachers. And that's exactly where Paul's logical chain in verses 14 through 15 take us. He writes, starting partway through the chain, and how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So what Paul is saying is we need sent ones. And this sending implies a specific type of calling, a calling to be preachers of the gospel. And that's why this passage should first, although we'll see not only, but first be applied to pastors and preachers. Because pastors and preachers are people who are called and they're commissioned and they are sent out to proclaim Jesus' message. And we see that there are official officers who do this throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, we have the office of prophet. They were the primary people who were called to be the voice, the mouthpieces of God to his people. We see that in the New Testament. The primary preaching we see, if you look at the book of Acts, is by the apostles that Jesus sent out. But also by other officers who were called to to preach the gospel. Men like Stephen. There's a specific kind of authority for those people who are called to declare God's word and the gospel of Jesus. And this is very uh, typical and standard in, a, in a, what's called a reformed doctrine of preaching. Uh, the old, one old and great uh, dead theologian, uh, I think I was just commenting, I don't know if it was De Brody, most of my favorite theologians are dead theologians. And if you're a living theologian, you'll probably be more favored by me after you die. Um, but one great old dead theologian, Gerhardus Voss, fun name to say, he writes, there is a distinction in this power, the power of the ministry of the word, between mere scriptural interpretation by a private member and the official ministry of the word. God or Christ speaks to the congregation through the latter, through such who are called or sent by him to that end. So as a brief application, let's continue to see pastors and preachers raised up and trained and sent out from our church. I'm not going to be at Livingstone forever, and I'm in seminary right now, and one day you will send me out to go and proclaim the gospel message in a different part of Wisconsin. And right now, it's pretty incredible if you think about it, we have four seminary students in a church of about 80 people. We have four seminary students at Livingstone right now. That should be a huge encouragement to us as we're raising up and training pastors who will be sent out to go and proclaim the gospel. But I did also say that this is not only applied to pastors and preachers. So buckle up, this is for you here. There's a way that this passage speaks to all church members. The great commission that Jesus gave to his church at the end of Matthew and other places, in the end of the Gospels, in the beginning of Acts, that great commission was given by Jesus to the whole of the church. 
In the living stone passage, which you should all be familiar with in 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, but you, the church he's speaking to, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, the church, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, if you have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of God, then you are called to proclaim his excellencies. This is a calling for you as well, to proclaim the gospels, proclaim the gospel, which we do find in the gospels, but proclaim the gospel to all who will hear it. I love Paul's quotation at the end uh, of verse 15. He quotes from Isaiah. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I want you to stop for a second and think about that phrase. It's, it's kind of an odd phrase. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Just a couple of weeks ago, Lexi and I were hiking out in the Appalachian Mountains in Virginia. And while we were hiking, we stopped. We found the first place that we were going to camp. And this other hiker who was doing a long section, who had previously himself hiked the entire 2,000 and something miles of the Appalachian Trail, he walks up to the shelter. And he went by the trail name Jumanji. If you've ever done any long hiking, most people on the trail don't go by their actual name. They go by a trail name for the whole time they're out on the trail. His trail name was Jumanji. He was kind of an interesting man. He had this huge wizard's hat that he wore when he hiked. And all of his clothes were like bright colors. Very interesting fellow. Dreadlocks, huge beard. Very interesting. But one of the inter most interesting things that stood out to us right away is that he walked in after this long, very hard section that we had just hiked where he had to go up the side of this mountain over all of these rocks and he showed up in sandals. It was in really interesting and they were not just like chacos or something with a thick sole. These were, you know, flimsy looking sandals with a thin little sole and he walks up and I'm thinking, this guy's crazy. He's hiking all of this in his sandals. And you looked at his feet and you would be able to know pretty much right away that he had been hiking for multiple days without wearing nice sturdy boots like any normal or sane person would be doing. He had been hiking for days through, through sun and rain over rocks in his sandals. And Lexi didn't notice this, but I noticed this. His feet were a little bit disgusting. You know, not something that you would look at and say, man, you really need to be a foot model. That's a good calling for you, Jumanji. But I want us to think about preachers and missionaries in Paul's day. These were people who would go and they would travel long distances, often by feet, wearing sandals. And they would show up in this town, they'd proclaim the gospel. And yet Paul, quoting Isaiah, says that these people have beautiful feet. Really strange. Why are their feet beautiful? It's not because their feet themselves were beautiful. They would have been messy and calloused and dirty but because the message that those feet carried to the place they went was a beautiful message. I want you to imagine with me for just a second a car enthusiast who is lost out in a desert and is dying of thirst. This will work for you here, Jesse. Car enthusiast, right? And I don't know why a car enthusiast would be dying of thirst out in a desert, but just go with me for a second here. Imagine that this person, he comes upon a road out in the desert and two cars drive up. One is a brand new Ferrari just off the lot. 
speeds right up, going 150 miles an hour down this desert road. Sees this guy and pulls over. And then up comes this rusty 1990 Chrysler Town and Country minivan. And they both pull up right next to each other by this dying of thirst man out in this desert. And so he goes up to the cars and he says, first to the man in the Ferrari, do you have any water? I'm dying of thirst. And he says, no, have you looked in this Ferrari? There's no space in here. I don't, I don't have room to carry any extra water in a car like this. It's not like I have a big trunk or anything. So he goes to the guy in this 1990 rusted out Chrysler town and country minivan. And he says, do you have any water? And he says, of course. I have a big case of water buried somewhere in the back of this thing under all the heaps of other things I got thrown in the back. Sure, let me go get you some water. Now think, to the car enthusiast, this man who loves cars, in that moment, which car would be more beautiful to him? It wasn't going to be the Ferrari. It was going to be that little rusty minivan that carried water to him so that he could live. When we go out and we proclaim the gospel message, we're not always going to be the most beautiful people, right? The way that we say things isn't going to be the most beautiful and fancy, but we will have beautiful feet because we proclaim the message of Jesus. So the application here is something you may never have thought that you would hear in a church. I'm calling you, and Paul is calling you to have beautiful feet. I could have titled the message, Foot Models for the Gospel. That would have been really attractive, right? We probably would have filled the, the room as people wanted to come in and hear this really trendy, cool message. Foot models for Jesus or foot models for the gospel. But ask yourself, are your feet beautiful? And beautiful in, in Paul's way here. Are your feet beautiful? Do you herald the gospel of Jesus to the places that you go? So we've seen the necessity for faithful preaching the necessity for faithful preachers, and lastly, the necessity of faithful hearers. And this is where we need to remember the context a lot of what Paul's talking about. Paul is dealing with the issue of why so many Israelites aren't saved. And Paul actually lays out the chain that he laid out in verses 14 through 15 to answer that question of why so many Israelites aren't, Israelites aren't saved. So if that is the chain of salvation that he lays out, we have to ask what part of that chain went wrong for those Israelites? Was it that there weren't preachers sent? No, there were preachers sent. Then did those preachers not preach? No, the preachers did preach. So maybe the Israelites just weren't listening, right? No, they did hear. They heard the message of those preachers. So what's the problem here? Where did the chain go wrong? And Paul makes it clear that their issue was a lack of belief. That is the part of the chain that got broken. If you look in verse 16, he says, But not, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So they did hear. They heard, but they didn't believe. They instead chose to pursue a righteousness based on their obedience to the law and their own works instead of the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So I need to say to you, even as we need faithful preachers of the gospel, we need faithful or faith-filled hearers of the gospel. You should expect that every week 
the one of us who is preaching, usually Josh, but sometimes me or Chris or Bill, you should expect the week leading up to that sermon that we will spend serious time in God's word, that we'll dive into the Greek or the Hebrew and study it in the original language, that we're going to read through commentaries and Bible dictionaries, and we're going to do the hard work of making sure that when we speak God's word to you, we speak it well and truthfully. You should expect that of us. But there is also a responsibility that lies on you as the hearers of God's word and the hearers of the gospel. Question 90 in the Shorter Catechism says this, how is the word to be read and heard? I like that they include that in there, and heard that it may become effectual to salvation. The answer is that the word may become effectual to salvation. We must attend thereunto with diligence preparation and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. And there are a lot of ways that you can with diligence and preparation and prayer, prepare yourselves to come and hear God's word. Especially when we're going through a whole book of the Bible, which will start in September and we're walking through Hebrews, you'll know what the next passage is for that week. Maybe during that week you can do a study by yourself or with your family where you sit down at some point and read through the passage for that Sunday and study it together. Spend time praying for the person who is preaching that week. The night before the sermon or the morning, Sunday morning when you wake up, pray for your own heart. Pray that you would come and you'd be receptive to God's word. Maybe take notes during the sermon. Write down some applications or just think through applications and later in the week go and say, how can I apply one or two of the things that I heard this Sunday in my life this week and faithfully practice the word of God preached to you in your life? And there are a lot of other things that you can do, but be faithful hearers. And don't just hear. To hear well really also means that you need to not just get the information, but you need to believe in the one who is proclaimed that you need to believe in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to pay attention how you hear. You could have come every week, 500 weeks in a row to church and heard the gospel message and not responded with faith. But this could also be your first week in church or your first week in church in a long time. And for you also, the message is the same to believe in Jesus Christ, to hear the voice of Jesus calling to you and respond. And belief in this passage is specifically belief in Christ. If you look at the passage, belief in Christ, it's belief in a person. And one theologian, I think he helpfully defines this type of belief, belief in as an absolute transference of trust from ourselves into another, a complete self-surrender to God. I love that language, a transference of trust from ourselves to another. And that makes sense in the context of Paul dealing with people who were trusting in themselves and their righteousness, saying, no, stop trusting in yourselves. Trust in another, trust in Christ. Have a complete self-surrender to God. Because of our sin, None of us, not a single one of us can pursue our own self-justification. That pursuit is just as futile as it is exhausting for us. 
but in Jesus and from and through Jesus, we have a good news that is proclaimed to us. That we can be justified before God. We can be forgiven and counted as perfect and righteous before him, not because of our works, not because of anything that we have done or earned, but through the perfect work of Jesus, living the perfect life of obedience and righteousness in our place that we could never live, dying in our place to take the penalty from our sin and rising again in victory. So I call you today to hear the gospel, to hear Jesus and believe in him, to transfer your trust from yourself onto another, to Christ and believe and be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have not left us without your revelation. And it's a word that we can read, we can hear preached and study, a word that teaches, uh, teaches us of Christ and the way of salvation. And it's a word that we can also proclaim ourselves to others. And we ask that you would help us as your people, as Livingstone Church, to be beautiful-footed people, to be people that have heard the gospel, responded with faith, and love for Christ and love for our neighbor who go out to the places that you send us to be heralds of the only way of salvation in Jesus Christ. And God, we need your help to do that well. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.